today on Ag News Daily. January 1st or 2nd, you know, first trading day of the year, out to April 15th. And we did the math today, and uh, for beans, it's about 35. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Brought to us by our sponsors at agmarket.net. We'll be talking with one of the ag market folks here in just a little bit with Matthew Bennett, more specifically, who is out in the field, as I understand it. But I'm also joined by my co-host today, Mike Pierce. And Mike, planters are officially rolling. Yeah, they are. I, well, they're rolling in some places. I've been talking to some folks in uh, in Minnesota and northern Iowa who are still pulling on anhydrous. And I was talking to a, uh, a fellow just the other day, well, yesterday, I guess, and uh, he said it's it's still too wet. He's looking maybe by the end of the week to start actually doing some field work and then first part of next week to get into the field with the planter. But Delaney, there is a huge historic thing that mm-hmm. happened today. Have you been there watching is. the markets? I absolutely have, Mike. Why don't you fill our listeners in? For the first time in history, listeners, West Texas crude went negative. At the close of trading today, let me uh, pull up our prices here. The uh, May contract, the mini May contract, went off the board at negative $37. So, in theory, it's a cash-settled contract, so you're not actually taking delivery. But basically, if you were taking delivery, they are paying you 30 to load and take it home. At the end of the day, what is happening is we are running out of storage for crude, and that just caused massive uh, selling today in the market and, and took prices negative. We've never seen it before. Uh, we still have one more day in the full contract to see where prices truly end up, but uh, definitely a wild, wild day in the market. And it didn't do favors for the corn market or the soybean market, and it even kind of took some of the uh, the bounce out of the wheat market later in the day. So it's it's bizarre, Delaney Hall. That's all I can say about it. It's nuts. Yeah, I didn't even know that a commodity like that could trade in the negative. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way. It's kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. It certainly has. Well, we'll talk about that with Matt Bennett here in just a little while. But the other big story that actually came out Friday afternoon, after we taped the podcast, maybe we should start taping later on Friday afternoons because they have this news dump, it seems, especially coming uh, from the administration, Mike. Mm -hmm. But we saw the official announcement of a $19.5 billion MFP package or relief package, whatever you'd like to call it. So we now know some of the details around that package, which were released on Friday. It includes about $16 billion in direct payments to livestock producers, fruit and vegetable growers, and other sectors. More specifically, I've got a breakdown here, about $9.6 billion will go in direct payments to livestock producers, $5.1 to beef, $2.9 billion to dairy, and $1.6 billion to hog producers. Another $3.9 billion will be targeted to row crop producers. And $2.1 billion will go to specialty crop producers. So that's one piece of the package. The other big piece is that $3 billion will be used to purchase commodities and take those purchases and put them into food banks or into places where food is needed right now, Mike. Yes. 
So this was this was big news. It is undeniably good news, Delaney. American farmer needs a hand. This is definitely a hand. But but Delaney, you know, I spend a lot of time on cattle Twitter, inter- engaging with cow calf producers and feedlot operators, and there was some frustration, at least with the initial reports out of USDA, that uh, this bailout was going to come with a cap of $125,000 paid out per commodity. So if you raise cattle and if you have had to sell, you know, several pens over the past three months, you know, your losses could way out dollar that figure. And, uh, you know, your host, you're not going to get paid on that, which is frustrating. And so we'll just have to see how these things shake out as more details come to the fore. Yes, we certainly will, Mike. Indeed, Delaney Howe. I tell you what, there is uh, some other news as long as we're talking or I alluded to the meat markets. We've got bad news again today for hog producers. JBS in Worthington, Minnesota announced that they are shutting that plant. This is a plant uh, roughly the same size as the the Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls. Uh, Processes about 5% of the country's pork. It is a huge plant in Minnesota, Uh, employs 2,000 workers, Jeez, these numbers are staggering. Processes 20,000 hogs per day when it's running at full tilt. And uh, basically, they're running into the same problem every other meat processing facility has had, which is employees are coming down with COVID-19. And uh, they just don't know how to fix it beyond closing down, sending everybody home, deep cleaning. And we're going to see this continue to happen throughout the meat industry, Delaney. We've got uh, a tough road to hoe ahead of us here in beef and pork and chicken. I mean, any of the meats. Yeah. And we don't talk chicken or that stuff very often, but they're facing the same challenges. Yeah, and to address some of those challenges, Secretary Purdue is really trying to put some pressure on the CDC and tell them, you know, hey, this is literally our food supply chain that is having these issues, we need to make those folks a priority. So he has been asking and in conversations with those people at the CDC, whoever makes the decisions, to be able to send COVID-19 tests to meatpacking facilities so they're able to test workers, get those that are healthy, you know, maybe sectioned off or whatever, or send those sick people home. But he's trying to make it more of a priority to send tests to those people first. You know, that makes a lot of sense, Delaney. Again, this is the second time in a week I've said something the federal government is doing makes sense. I know, Mike. I know. Oil's negative and the FedGov is doing things with (laughs) common sense. I tell you, it is a crazy world we're living in. Yes, it is. Well, let's see. We've also got some other news here. We've got the uh, Farm Bureau Foundation. I know a lot of our listeners are parents. They've got kids who are grade school age. And more and more states, Delaney, Iowa did it last week, Illinois, I think did it last week as well, Ohio, Indiana, all these states are saying, hey, don't come back to school, you're done for the year. And for those of you who want to incorporate ag lessons into your home school, beyond their, you know, uh, hands-on learning on the farm, uh, Farm Bureau Federation is doing a thing called the My American Farm STEM app. And uh, they've released it. It's an app. Just go to the app store, look up My American Farm. And basically, they teach them different things. And I haven't used it yet, but there's a science component. There's a technology component and an engineering component and a math component all tied around agriculture. And it looks pretty cool. So if you are a parent looking for ways to teach math and science and engineering and whatnot, uh, check out the My American Farm app in the app store. 
All right. Very interesting. Well, I think I am all out of news for today, Mike. Should we rip the Band-Aid off and talk commodity markets? Well, Will, in just one second, this is a story that feeds into it very nicely. Um, according to the uh, Association of Equipment Manufacturers, AEM, they issue their monthly flash report on the sale of tractors. And tractors sold in March, sales were down 16%. Not terribly surprising, given where commodity prices are at. Combine sales were down 12%. Again, not terribly surprising. We don't move a lot of combines in March, typically. But the bigger surprise was that the smaller tractors, which have really driven the market, these are utility tractors purchased by farmers, of course, but also by suburbanites, folks living on three or four acres while they're working in town, those sales were also down. And those sales have carried the equipment industry for the past several years. So I think we're starting to see the spillover of these shelter-in-place and stay-at-home orders and lack of income impacting the ag equipment sector. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. It's just, I thought it was an interesting fact, Delaney Howell. I would agree with you, Mike. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the markets. We will discuss these numbers in great detail. So stay tuned for our conversation with Mr. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. They are our sponsor today. If you need some ag hedging or just advice on the markets, check out their website, which is agmarket.net. In the corn market today, the May contract was down eight cents at 314 and a quarter. December new crop down six and a half. Closed the day at 373. 337 even. Soybeans also lower. The May was off six cents at 826 and a half. November new crop down five and a quarter. Closed the day at 845 and three quarters. Wheat was the big gainer on the day, although we did close about 15 cents off the highs. May contract ended up 15 and a quarter cents higher to close at 548 and three quarters. December new crop up 12 cents, finished at 559 even. Over in livestock, we continue to see the market just kind of flopping around. We ended up with a little bit more weakness as we closed out the day. The June live cattle contract dropped $1.20 to finish at 85.10. August down a dollar, wrapping it up at 90.10. Feeder cattle lower on the day as expected. The May contract was down $2 even at 117.27 half. The August down 75 cents, closing at 127.65. The big winner in livestock was the lean hog contracts. May was up $2.67.5 cents, closed at $40.60. Hard to believe that's a winner on the day. The June contract up $2.52.5 cents to close at $46.25. Let's see what happened in dairy. Class three milk futures today were mixed. The April was up two cents at $13.43, while the May was down 22 to close at $10.88. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our good friend, Mr. Matt Bennett. Well, as promised for today's Hashtag Market Monday conversation, we've got Matt Bennett of agmarket.net on the call with us today, who is out in the fields. Matt, are you planting today or just doing some field work in preparation for planting? Well, we're planting. We're actually uh, getting along pretty good planting soybeans. Uh, you know, we planted some corn and beans before it got super cold and <laughs> kind of backed off on the corn plantings a little bit because we were concerned and planted a few more beans than what we did corn. But, uh, you know, here last week, uh, you know, it got nice again. The ground's working like a garden pretty much everywhere we've been. And so we decided we'd go ahead and finish up planting beans and then get back on corn. So, I'll be honest with you, if, if, uh, if the weather doesn't cause problems this week, uh, by this weekend, I'll be close to being done. 
Well, that will be a load off, especially compared to last year's frustrations, Matt. But if you're done planting corn and corn's trading at three bucks, are you a winner? I think is the question. <laughs> it depends on, on who you ask. If you ask my wife, I'm not a winner sometimes, but uh, uh, I don't know. It's a tough game. I'll tell you right now is very, it's very tough because it's, the producer, there's a couple of different ways of looking at this. If you would sell corn right now, and this market does what, for instance, the crude oil market has done, and just absolutely taking a bath, uh, and you see these corn trade down to, I don't know, three bucks or below, and I'm not saying it will, but what if it did? If it did, then you would be uh, hedged, obviously, on portion of bushels, and you'd be double dipping on your uh, you know, your crop insurance, if you're buying crop insurance, especially if it's very aggressive at all. And uh, third of all, you might get some money on PLC. But the risk that you run is if you go ahead and sell your corn and then the market turns around and moves higher, uh, that could be devastating because I, I don't know that you can really sell, you know, at below 340 D's corn and conceivably say, for most producers anyway, that it's going to be a profitable deal without some outside help. Well, and Matt, since you mentioned outside payments, we also saw on Friday that the USDA is going to do some sort of relief package, market facilitation payment program, whatever you want to title it, since it doesn't really have a title right now. Do you see that pulling acres into corn, even though we don't have very favorable prices? Well, I just, I guess I don't know enough about the program. You know, I know that this uh, initial, uh, this payment that we'd be talking about getting in May or early June is going to be 85% of the move. And I'm assuming that would be basis to May, but I, maybe you guys know, um, because I'm assuming that what we've incurred as far as a loss so far, uh, the presumption would be based upon uh, old crop. But if it was old crop, that's 81 cents uh, basis to May. And so, 85 cents of 85 percent of that you're talking some sense and so um is do you guys know if this is basis to may or basis the uh december i don't i think we're still pretty much waiting on guidance from usda they've just thrown these figures out there at least as far as i've seen and listeners if you have details uh, by all means find us on twitter find us on facebook at ag news daily and correct me but no i think they have just said this is what we're going to do and they're still working on their end Right, and so my assumption uh, is that it would be it would be strange to me if that if that is not how it is based is based upon, for instance, the May contract because we're talking about losses from January first or second, you know, first trading day of the year out to April fifteenth, and we did the math today, and uh, for beans it's a buck thirty-five, and for corn it's eighty-one cents, and so if you take eighty-five percent of those, and then again, I'm going to make an assumption here, but. Uh, whether it's going to be on the county yield or not, uh, it's fairly easy math. Uh, if you start crunching those numbers, then that's a fairly healthy payment for most producers. So I don't know that this 3.9 billion or whatever the number was they came up with, I don't know that that's enough. I mean, to be honest, to be able to, if I'm running the math, I don't, I don't know that I, uh, I don't know that I come up with enough dollars there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's bizarre. It's going to be frustrating, I think, for a lot of growers to see these figures finally when they get worked out. But Matt, you mentioned, you know, if corn were to turn around and rally, we are seeing the ethanol industry under siege. We've got the Trump administration releasing refiners from their obligations under the RFS. We've got crude going negative. When you look at 
the perspective of ethanol going forward, at least through this summer and into a new crop harvest, what's your take? What, what is it going, do we need folks driving again to really get this thing turned around or is there something else maybe waiting in the wings that can inspire some confidence? You know, it was, I think, frustrating maybe for a lot of people to see that ethanol wasn't involved in this trade aid package or whatever you want to call it. Again, like Delaney, I don't, I don't even know what it's called, but uh, you know, I think that shoring uh, the industry up just a little bit, um, that's one thing. But the, another thing is when you talk to people in the industry, they're going to tell you that if they're full of ethanol, it doesn't really do any good to throw any money at them because they got to be able to get rid of the ethanol. And so uh, when people aren't driving, basically we've got a glut in the system of not only crude oil, but of ethanol. And so uh, bottom line to answer your question, I don't know that there's a good answer. I don't know that there's a, a, a fun answer to talk about. I'm very concerned about what this is going to do to us. You know, when you're looking at something that's gobbling up a good one third of the U.S. corn crop, you know, it, it's a it's a major major issue, uh, I guess, for producers moving forward. So, obviously, you're taking DDGs out of rations. You're going to throw corn in. It's a low test weight crop. You're going to boil through probably more corn than what people think. But at this stage of the game, I think it's very very easy to assume that. You're going to get your corn usage for ethanol down safely under five billion. I know the USDA is not there yet, but I think that's a pretty easy assumption to make, and that does not spell a rally for the corn market, at least as far as I'm uh, calculating it. And Matt, talking energy here, I know there's probably not a, just a one-size-fits-all answer, but trading in the negative today in the crude oil market—I didn't even know it could trade in the negative. But what is going on? Is there? Do you have any idea of why it's been moving the way it has, besides the lack of driving demand? You know, we've, we've obviously got that. You know, I mean, people are not using uh, any form of de uh, fuel uh, compared to what we normally see, especially, you know, you look at airline travel. Uh, you, the only thing that is really on the road in any fashion close to what it was before, I think, would be semis. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff getting hauled around the country still, but you know, as far as uh, as far as this price structure goes, you just have a glut. There's nowhere to go with this oil, and nobody wants it. Uh, but yet, uh, some of these countries obviously uh, don't want to quit producing it. And so, you know, your nearby is basically it's a, it's a fire sale, and then you see this carry in the market. So some people feel like this market is actually going to improve. I mean, a twenty dollar carry out to the next month. I mean, uh, you know, if if I had somewhere to put oil, I would be storing it and then I turn around and sell it in a month or two but um, you know whether you'd be able to get rid of it then is anyone's guess obviously you'd have to hedge it if that's something you're going to do because uh, bottom line is uh, this market could continue uh, basically to deteriorate as you move forward if you don't end up using enough energy products and so I don't know this is a this is a very strange circumstance we're in I never thought that I would see uh, really any commodity trade in a negative value. I mean, I've always been the guy that jokes about, hey, when corn gets down to zero, I'm going to buy the heck out of it. Well, you can't joke about that anymore. That's true. A lot of folks lost their behinds today buying crude oil at zero. And that made me wish I had an Olympic-sized swimming pool I could fill with oil. But uh, Matt, when we take a look at the soybean market, we're also seeing weakness today. We had phenomenal crush numbers last week. We're still seeing decent demand for meal, both domestically and internationally. You know, are beans just lower as the weakness from corn carries over, or is there something else going on? 
I think that's got a lot to do with it. Obviously, we know that Brazil is going to have a, a large crop. The first crops where most of their beans were planted, they had a pretty darn good first crop. It wasn't perfect by any means, but, you know, 125, 123, call it what you want. It's a big crop. And so we know that world supply is stable at the very least. The Chinese just simply have not come to the table and bought near as many U.S. beans as what we were hoping that they would. Yeah, you're right. The crush margins look good, but uh, you know as well as I do that a lot of times we see corn and beans, in essence, uh, you know, parlaying off of one another. And, and whenever you see the corn market is weak and just absolutely abysmal is what we've seen recently, uh, you know, I, I just think that you're still seeing spillover weakness. It's making it really hard for the bean market to do anything. I mean, you look at this uh, supply and demand balance sheet for soybeans. Uh, obviously, the supply and demand balance sheet for corn is ugly. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, you look at uh, soybeans, though, and if you would have a 50 bushel or under national yield on, on this crop this year, you could be looking at some pretty tight numbers. And so, uh, obviously, uh, it's a totally... But it's not doing anything to drive the bean market higher. And so, uh, it's, a, it's a very tough circumstance. Whenever you look at last year, you were talking a billion bushels of soybeans for a carryout. This year, you're talking 480, which most people think is too high. Uh, and, and for next year, some folks are tossing around uh, anywhere from 250 to 400. Uh, but yet, what have we seen happen? You know, if you cut the carryout in half on soybeans from one year to the next, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to see a price rally. Well, we didn't get a price rally. But we got the opposite of one. And so it's a tough thing. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with your other sector, with corn. But you, you look over at the wheat market, and it's rallying sharply today. So uh, doesn't always make sense, but I, I do think that soybeans got a lot to do with what's going on in the corn market. Matt, since you mentioned the wheat market, what is going on with them today? They've had a pretty pretty good day, and do you think it could have been higher or a better day if we hadn't seen maybe some of the trickle-down effects from corn and soybeans trading poorly today? Oh, absolutely. You know, the wheat market uh, settled off the ties, you know, and I think uh, a big reason that the wheat market is going uh, the way that it is, you know, you talk, you talk about dryness uh, in other parts of the world, whether it's Europe, uh, bottom line is you, you're seeing areas that certainly are concerned about what the production is going to look like. Now, uh, to me, I, I struggle to get super friendly to the wheat market at, at any time during the year. It's so hard to trade the wheat market. Uh, you know, it's just grown everywhere. And so you're always within, you know, six or eight weeks of harvest somewhere in the world. And, uh, you know, you can remedy a a short wheat uh, supply situation fairly quickly. Plus, as we all know, I mean, you're looking at totally different carryout structure. I mean, much larger carries for wheat than what we see either for corn or for soybeans. And so pretty tough to trade this wheat market, but that's what's going on is I think concerns about world supply due to weather issues that we're seeing in other areas. Well, Matt, before we let you go, we've got to have a conversation about the meat markets. We had another announcement earlier today. JBS closed a plant that uh, processes about 5% of U.S. pork, and yet pork prices were higher. Strong carcass values. What is going on? What, what's your take here on the meat markets going forward? Well, I think I'm a little friendlier as far as beef goes, maybe what I would be, uh, you know, the hog market. I, I, yeah, I, I feel like your demand is going to be quite strong. It's going to be a little more resilient in the face of what we've seen happen. Uh, you know, whenever someone goes to buy beef and maybe what they're uh, wanting to buy pork. But bottom line is I can't explain this 
this uh, this hog market. I mean, it's one of the craziest things, you know, that I've seen in, in my trading career. But, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, um, you know, a lot of folks were thinking, hey, Chinese are going to come in and buy a ton of hogs. Uh, you know, you saw big carry in that hog market earlier in the year. You know, you're looking at 80 to $100 hogs, and then you look at what we're looking at now, uh, half or less. And, I mean, it's, this is a tough row to hoe for hog producers, and I don't know that I have an easy answer for them. I think that uh, when it's all said and done, there's still going to be a fair amount of demand. Chinese love to eat pork, and it's one of the, it's the largest uh, population center in the world. And so uh, you've got to think that uh, you would see good demand going forward. But for right now, uh, with everything that we've got going on here in the U.S., it's a tough day to be a hog producer. It certainly is, Matt. Before we let you go, Remind our listeners how they can get a hold of you, connect with you, or ask you more questions about the commodity markets. Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to agmarket.net. Me and the guys that I uh, do business with, uh, you can get all of our contact information there, pick up some of our research, and just see some of the tools that we have to offer. But yeah, it's agmarket.net. Fantastic. Well, Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, big thanks to Matt for coming on. And yeah, it is crazy times across the world, but certainly in the world of agriculture, Delaney. It certainly is, but we are always keeping abreast of the latest issues impacting agriculture here on the Agnews Daily Podcast. So do make sure you are connected with us on social media at Agnews Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or if you've missed any of our past episodes, check us out, agnewsdaily.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Delaney. <laughs>